Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Tom Hasm podcast. If this is your first time here, then welcome. Do us a favor and hit the like and subscribe button so you never have to miss an episode again. Because this is the podcast that brings to life the stories and the struggles of athletes and those in other disciplines of life and discover the journey that they've been on to get where they are today. Today's episode is an absolute belter and you can expect to hear things like this. Yeah. You just got to put yourself out there and, and do it. <laughs> I just got to go in and head first and give it a yeah. shot. What's the worst that can happen? You get such highs, you get such lows, you don't know how to deal with them. Yet you gotta keep you gotta keep grinding. That video was the first video I posted and I have not missed a single day since then of posting a video a day or yeah. picture. Oh, I'm so excited for you to listen to today's guest, Dylan G, tell his tennis story. I wanted to get Dylan on so we could share notes on what growing up and playing tennis in the UK was like. A lot of you will probably know Dylan from his Instagram account tennis with Dylan but I really hope that this episode connects the dots a little more for you with Dylan and you get to know him a little deeper as I did. He shares his experiences of college tennis, pro tour life and now coaching which he has such an enthusiastic passion for. He's such a great guy and I know you're going to enjoy this one so please sit back relax and enjoy Dylan G on the Tom Hasson podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dylan G. Hey Tom, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too, mate. Also, a lot of people probably know you, Tennis with Dylan. Yes, that's right. Uh, through Instagram. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you there. We just had to pause a little chat we we're having to, to save it for the podcast. And I'm really hoping that over the next, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, we can really just chat through kind of your tennis journey and, and how you got to where you are today. So with that being said, do you want to just tell us kind of how your tennis journey started? Yeah, sure. So I've always um, been surrounded by uh, tennis juniors, uh, such as when my mom played when she was younger. And then my father never played, but he's been heavily involved in other sports like rugby. And what kind of led me into tennis was a group of friends that I had in primary school. So I was around the age of seven, eight years old when I first started and picked up a racket. And I was a competitive footballer at the time as well. But I decided that tennis was more for me, even though I did play both sports. And those group of friends helped me to push me to kind of be who I am today in terms of they always are much better than me. So I always strive to be better than them. Yeah. And so when they kind of um, were playing at the tournaments and, and driving all over the country to play matches, I was like, I want to do that too. So. Thankfully, my mother, who's the big tennis person in the family, she, she managed to help me um, to go through that. And yeah, I just joined a few academies here in North London, uh, traveled abroad a bit to America to play some tournaments like the Orange Bowl, Eddie Her Prince Cup, and some of the top juniors tournaments in the world, as well as uh, training in, in Germany as well and in Spain. So that's kind of my little journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That started through a few group of friends who I'm still in contact with today, which is really nice. Yeah, I think that's the, the amazing thing about tennis, isn't it? That you can pick up these friends along the way and it is such a, it is a sport for life. So I'm, I'm sure you still, you still play with them and have a hit with them every now and then and a catch up and you reminisce on the old days and playing the same people. That's it, exactly. kind of things. <laughs> no, that's really good. I mean, one of them has actually just transitioned back into um, 
tennis as in coaching yeah um, before he was a primary school teacher um, working his way up to wanting to be assistant head yeah. and he decided that he wanted to change career paths and um, wants to be a full-time coach so I've been helping to guide him and yeah we've been in contact since he's probably going to listen to this as well but <laughs> yeah he's a good guy as well <laughs> Yeah, that's brilliant. It is a sport that I think it doesn't really leave you. I think I was speaking to one of my good friends the other day. He 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 did really well as a junior. He was sort of around top two hundred, um, and then kind of not. I don't want to say quit. It's not the right word. But we were talking about how the skills that he picked up when he played tennis are still shaping his career now, and it doesn't leave you that hunger and that desire to do better from an individual perspective. That's it. I think it's all to do with like, I always say it's like the cards I've been dealt with. Um, I've tried to make the most of what I've been given. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of people would say um, to do with your background, uh, financial side, um, the opportunities that you get given, but you kind of have to work with what you got. And yeah. I felt like, yeah, I've, done, I've definitely done that. I've given my all no, no regrets. Yeah. I mean, of course, maybe wanting to play more, but yeah, that's how it goes. But I'm I'm very thankful to be where I am now and doing everything I love to do. So that's the main thing for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's brilliant. So we'll just we'll go back a little bit. When what was the age that you started really thinking? You know, I, you know, I could be all right at this, and these guys are going to push me, and it's going to be a good. It'll be a good ride either way. So around twelve years old, actually, yeah. I joined um, the tennis academy. You may have heard of it. It's called Jet Junior Elite tennis and um alan jones joe jury a guy originally before um james lenton and if you know of a guy called ryan jones he's yeah. um he's coached like borna chorich and kyle edmund yeah and um he's he's one of the top coaches here in the uk and that academy wasn't too close um place called hazelwood close to mine so that's where i really started to excel in my tennis and uh, they were very heavily pushing me at that academy yeah which um, I was grateful for and I would come out of school as well yeah some late evenings on a Wednesday or half days on Friday to to play tennis and train at the academy I was never full-time yeah. I was always uh, focused on the academics as well as as um, as well as competing and playing but I really think when my tennis started to kick off was yeah around 12 13 yeah and i started traveling a lot more never played any tennis europe or anything like that yeah neither with any of the itfs um it was just uh just something that i never really thought of at that moment but yeah. um as i got to about 16 17 um i really started to think that college tennis was the right route yeah. and uh, that was my goal to play to play tennis in america and gain a scholarship <laughs> yeah. which i did so later on but which was uh, yeah, another amazing experience too. Yeah, we'll, we'll delve into your, your college experience. And actually, it's going to be an interesting one because you've got experience of playing in the US and a UK university as well. Um, but I think something you, you touched on earlier, which is a really, a really good point, is something that kind of juniors have to battle with. It, it, tennis is, you know, it's a tougher demanding sport and you still need that the academic kind of back up as well and trying to juggle the two and I think junior tennis players there's a lot of pressure on them and they they do sacrifice a lot and I'm sure that's something that you all have experienced when when you were growing up as well 
yeah hugely i think um for me my my family have all uh, have all been heavily influenced with the academic side they always said go to school and study yeah and uh, take route in that journey and so i always thought even if i were to finish playing tennis i would want to go back and study yeah um just because i would like something uh, in my future to have as a backup plan just in case if tennis were to not work out or maybe if i didn't want to carry on coaching let's say i could go down a different route as well so yeah that's why i always was heavily focused on the academics as well as the tennis and i would push that as well with all the people that i coach the young juniors as well yeah and i think nowadays as well the the age of the players on tour is is getting older um and okay you can talk about maybe like an alcaraz who's a bit of a freak at 18 but now you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can, you can certainly prolong a career and come into your prime at 24 25 as you probably could do um in other in other sports as well but i guess if you if you completely drop out the education aspect as well, then it's a, you know, a harder route back in later down the line, perhaps. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I know personally from a lot of my friends when I was younger and playing, they would leave school at the age of around 16 to yeah. pursue playing tennis. And for me, that was not really an option. Yeah. I, I, I always wanted to play college tennis. Yeah. I always thought that I could develop longer term through that kind of way. And I felt, when you see someone like Cameron Norrie, who's doing amazingly well, just won yeah. Delray and form of his life, he played college tennis. He was ranked number one in college. I mean, he's a, he's a Kiwi now, British yeah. tennis player. I mean, he's done yeah, exceptionally well, but that gave him probably the extra little boost and lift in order to take his game to the next standard in terms of fitness, in terms of tennis training and coaching and getting the team environment as well. So... I think more juniors should look into that kind of route before actually taking that big leap into pro. Unless if you're going to be, let's say, already making finals of a of futures and, yeah. and winning them. I mean, you, if you're top, if you're not top 500, 400 in the world, coming out of around 18 years old, then I'd say college route is probably the best option before than wanting to take pro. And then seeing maybe, let's say, you play college for a few years, and then maybe you're like, actually, I've got the level. I will yeah. take it as being pro or maybe I'll just ride out the uh, the college tennis route. Yeah, it's not going to do it, do you any harm, is it? And no, let's um so so you went off to to college in America. Which which university did you go to? I was at Jacksonville State Uni, um yeah. down south, deep south. Yeah. And uh, there for 2 years. And um originally my goal was to to play tennis and study, but I actually felt that I, I really enjoyed the tennis side and that I wanted to be more of a tennis player than focus yeah. on my studies at that time. <laughs> so uh, originally I did want to transfer. I wanted to go to a higher rank of one uni yeah. and try something different. But unfortunately scholarships did not work out. So I was looking around for quite a long time at different universities and even thinking of taking maybe even a year out if that was possible. But yeah. I decided to... I uh, come back to London over one summer and I found a sponsor at the club that I work at right now. Yeah, great. And it was an individual and he said, if you want to take tennis very seriously, I can help you out. And I was like, this doesn't happen. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I would have never decided or thought of leaving college in order to play professional tennis yeah. unless if I was given 
the opportunity through financial or maybe something else in terms of the coaching group. But I, I took on that that decision to leave college in America. Yeah. Got all my forms and everything to to then pursue playing college tennis. So after that summer, I moved to Germany and we trained full time um, west of Frankfurt at an academy there, and that's where I played professional tennis for around just around a year. Brilliant. I want to I want to ask you about that decision because that's that's not eat. I know we say that that doesn't happen and it is, you know, somebody, I don't know, somebody came and waved a magic wand there, but, and that's, was, yeah. but yeah. that's still a hard decision because you've worked really hard to go to, to go to college in America. And then you've got your program, you've got everything and kind of everything set up for you. You know, for the next two years, I've yeah. got this course to do. Um, I'm going to play. And then after it, then we'll see what happens there. And actually somebody's come along and then, even though on the surface it seems like a straightforward decision, but it's not because you had the next two years of your life really mapped out in front of you. That was it. I've always been, I'd say I'm a risk taker. Yeah. Always like doing things that I want to do rather than by the book. Yeah. So I thought I'd never get this opportunity again in my life. Yeah. I wasn't probably ready for professional tennis then. I was doing a lot of things wrong in my game, technical <laughs> flaws. And um, I thought, I just got to go in and head first and give it a yeah. shot. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen, maybe I go back to university in America or play college tennis or university tennis here in England, or I go into coaching. And yeah. I thought if I don't take that risk, then I will never know what was going to happen rather than taking the safe route. So I took the plunge and yeah, managed to have an amazing experience playing on the tour, traveling the world, meeting some amazing tennis players and, yeah, playing some some really high level tennis. That's brilliant. I think I, I think there's something to be said for that, isn't there? In that kind of what's the worst that can happen attitude. I kind of made the same decision <laughs> when I came out to Australia. You know, there's always a flight back. Um, so, yep. and I think sometimes you do. You know, there's sometimes you do have to take an element of risk if you're going to chase what is a, a huge dream. Um, so talk to us about. So you've gone from America, the deep south of America, and now you're in Germany, and how how did was there a language barrier or how was diving straight into tennis straight over there so i was quite fortunate that at the academy a lot of them they all spoke english very well i mean there were um the locals in the area and some of the people that i would train with that spoke obviously german and that was quite confusing for me but um it was quite a quiet area nothing too busy so i got to focus a lot on my tennis training and had a lot of individual training as well as a few small squads yeah so i was definitely heavily based in germany for out six to eight weeks originally in order to get my my playing level up to a decent standard yes um fitness as well that was one thing that i really took um took control of was the fitness side and i actually <laughs> funnily enough originally started posting fitness content yeah on social media mainly tennis fitness so explosive movements on court in the gym started doing ridiculous workouts when i think of it now yeah like 200 reps 500 reps all of this kind of <laughs> crazy things that i can never think of now but yeah <laughs> in terms of the level that i was uh, kind of like achieving at that time i thought wow this is this is a new level of energy that i can tap into and so i was basically preparing for four weeks in tunisia 
yeah. thought, well, where is this country and yeah. <laughs> what is that going to be like? So um, the experience of me actually going to Tunisia was like a real eye-opener yeah. in terms of what is the level, what is, um, what is the type of people I'm going to be playing against from different countries, what are their game styles and how am I going to adapt to the weather? Yeah, Scorching hot weather and really hot and humid and I was thinking this is tough and this is when it really first hit me like yeah geez I'm not ready <laughs> I'm not ready right now so the first couple of weeks were were rough I mean I did actually get one of my best wins around that time um it's a guy I think he's like three four hundred now in the world yeah brilliant um and I it was quite a shock because it was like a, a newbie year like a freshman year in college yeah um, <laughs> you don't know what's going on but this is the pro tour this is this is completely different so yeah. me I was thrown in the deep end again which Again, I, I liked and enjoyed. And after the four weeks, I managed to come out with my first ATP point, which was which was really big for me and something that I was always working towards. But um, it was a real learning experience. That that first four weeks were were tough. <laughs> can you can you yeah. tell us a, a bit like what what it was that you saw? Was it was it the just how much everyone wanted it? You know, people playing for a living. Was it kind of the weight of ball that was completely different? Was it just, or was it just everything? A bit of an overwhelming kind of first two weeks in general. It was. It was overwhelming. It was the yeah. hunger that everyone wanted. Yeah. Kind of like some people were super professional. Some people were very chilled and relaxed. Yeah. And. I was there by myself originally before my coach came out with me for the last um, for around the mid mid section. Yeah, and I never really had a um, like a full on program that I was sticking to day to day. So I was like diving into training with different players, doing my own fitness regimes, and I thought I need I need to sort something out in order for me to take my game to the next level. Because how am I going to fit in with these other people and be better than them? Yeah, when they've already been doing this for two to three years and they've already understood the game and some of the guys that were playing in those futures are now top 100 yeah. this guy Anthony Hoang French guy I saw him training there and I was like this guy's ridiculous like he's got a team around him he's, he's doing everything by the book and I was like how am I going to be like him <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, was, it was a nice way for me to to see what it was like, basically, because yeah. um, I never played the the ITF juniors and travelled yeah. for these big tournaments. Yeah, I played a lot in England. I played a little bit in in Germany, some tournaments over there, and then just a tiny bit in front. Uh, sorry, in Spain uh, when I was uh, training at academy there. So, yeah. so, yeah, so you came back from from Tunisia, and I guess that kind of gave you. I added incentive, a bit, bit extra hunger if you needed it, and also kind of a bit of data as well in terms of what you actually needed to work on and improve on. Did you head back to Germany from Tunisia? And, and uh, yes, I believe I did. Yeah, I did. Um, originally, at the time, I was thinking of doing like a longer stints at tournaments. Yeah. Where I was, where I'd want to play at least like three to four weeks of tournaments. Yeah. Looking back, I personally wouldn't do that because the last maybe one or two weeks you're kind of a bit tired and yeah it's kind of like monotonous a little bit mm -hmm. whereas if you were to do let's say two week stints at different places I, I guess I probably did that for the financial reason but 
instead of doing two weeks, let's say I did four weeks or six weeks and I'd be drained. I'd be like yeah. knackered at the end. So you do all this training and building up before the tournaments and then you perform well for the first, maybe, maybe not so much first week always because usually you're trying to acclimatize to the conditions. You try to go out a few days before or prepare with a few other hitting partners. Let's say if you're playing on hard or clay, but I would try to think like the second week, third week, I was pretty decent. And then the yeah. rest of the weeks was, was tough. <laughs> yeah. It was tough. I was thinking I need to get back in the gym. I need to, I need to work a little bit more on my game and things like that. So yeah, I did get caught out a little bit in that, but, um, it was kind of like me learning a lot exactly. on the job, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think if other people were to lead a similar route to what I was doing, I'd say for them to play at least some ITF juniors to see what it's like to be there and do it maybe with a coach if they can, Yeah. Um, in order to get themselves the knowledge and, and to put themselves out there in those situations so that when they do play the Futures or, or the other bigger pro tournaments, they will feel like it's not so different. It's it's quite similar. I think the older kind of adage that, you know, experience counts for a lot. People are like, well, you know, I think when you're younger, you don't, you don't really believe it. I don't think you understand the value of experience when you're younger. You're like, you know, I'm fresh, I'm hungry and I'm going to give it a good crack and I'm all for it. And then actually you get on, on the court and these guys just they just seem to I don't know they the court just feels a lot bigger a lot of the time they're moving you around the court so much better than anyone you've ever experienced before um and their experience really does count for a lot and without playing and putting yourself in more and more situations like that it's it's hard to actually understand how to deal with it <laughs> no, I 100% agree with that mate I I'd always say for me to only play for a year I mean that's 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 not enough really yeah. i'd say two to three years at least yeah so you can immerse yourself in 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 a regular routine and schedule and what feels best for you yeah rather than trying new things so the trying is the bit where you're still unsure about a lot of things but the actual knowing and doing something by the book and by your own schedule that will elevate your game and level so yeah if you can get the chance to play a couple of years <laughs> yeah. of pro tennis then yeah. And you can really see what kind of potential you can get to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of wise heads. Uh, you can have a lot of wise heads around you and you can have a lot of people telling you the right things and the right information, but especially with you talking about being, you know, 20, 21 years old, where you are still developing and maturing and trying to understand a lot of things in terms of like your tennis game and the world in general. Um, and so even the good advice can sometimes fall on deaf ears a little bit, I think. I agree. Yeah. And let's say some of the things that I've learned playing professional tennis, it's brought to me and installed in my mind to this day, yeah. <laughs> some of the life lessons. I mean, as you know, tennis is hugely individual sport. Yeah. So you, you always got to take what comes towards you and learn how to deal with it and become better or adapt to it yeah. so let's say I'm traveling and playing in Egypt or wherever abroad I got to do everything my own self and control everything I can control and yeah. not let all these distractions and other aspects in life take over too much yeah and just keep grinding and training away 
And I think, and and you can tell me if you think this is true as well, but I think that does, we touched on it earlier, but that does kind of stick with you, you know, a long, longer into life and into, you know, if it's whatever job you're doing, because it in, as a tennis player, it kind of is in your hands and it isn't in your hands at like how hard you work and that individualized process and responsibility that you assume you can definitely carry forwards into later life. That's right. And I've been uh, listening to a lot of podcasts as well. I'm sure yeah. you've listened to Dan Keelan. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. Sort of, yeah. Control the controllables and man, that, that stuff resonates in life. That's yeah. a lot of what he says. And, I really, really value a lot of that. And I think if you can store that in young kids and, and up and coming juniors, then they'll hopefully definitely have a, a stronger head when they are wanting to play the bigger tournaments or let's say they don't want to actually pursue tennis anymore, that, that these types of things in their mindset will help them in later life for sure. Yeah, definitely. So we'll go back to um, you, you finish your tuners, you think you're training, and then that's kind of, um, so how long you played for one year on the tour did you yeah yeah I've yeah. Been about 25 30 tournaments I think roughly yeah and I, I just want to touch on as well some people might listen and not understand the significance or just quite how important it was that somebody came along and said you know I'm going to sponsor you I'm going to offer to <laughs> to pay for this can you just kind of as briefly or as as unbriefly <laughs> as you like explain yeah just the financial side that comes with playing even just one futures tournament, let alone a year round calendar and a training program that goes with it. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> there are a few people that have broken down uh, the financial side, but I would say you're not really making any money to be yeah. honest. If you're winning futures or yeah. making finals in, and even though you, you may be winning singles, you might have to do well in doubles too. Yeah. So most of the time that when you are playing these futures and you are playing what's classified as professional tennis where you make money, you would actually be making a loss in a lot of the tournaments. So without the final financial backing or maybe backing from your own country, yeah. you, will, you will unfortunately be shelling a lot more money out rather than actually taking in the money. So it's a, it's a really, it's a long haul game. Uh, you've got to find other ways in order to keep you playing for as long as you can yeah um, i was even questioning at one time should i coach and play at the same time yeah but that wasn't really an option for me i thought but a lot of other people will do things like that so it's uh it's a yeah no really expensive sport but if you could, if you can work hard and find a way then you can make it possible if you've got the level for it then i say keep keep grinding at it for sure yeah that's it. It's, it's such a hard one. As soon as you start trying to juggle, I think, a job or a coaching job with, with playing, I think everyone has this almost idea that, yeah, I can, you know, I can coach 10, 20 hours and I can train and you do a few weeks of it and you're like, oh, this is, this is brutal. And then I need a bit of money to go and play a tournament, even if it's just in the UK. I think we're a similar age. And I remember they cut the, the prize money of British tours almost in half. Um, yeah, it's I remember that not really ever. anything now. I mean, all yeah. it's gone up now, but it's yeah. I mean, you need to be profiting uh, one thousand five hundred, two thousand plus for these tournaments in order yeah. to give yourself a chance to to go to let's say a country abroad in Europe. Yeah, and if you're playing two weeks, 
the cost of the flights and the travel and accommodation and food and stringing yeah. balls and equipment. I mean, the list goes on, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, overall, you need you need some sort of money in order for you to really focus on playing the professional tennis game as opposed to thinking of where is my next paycheck going to come in order for me to play this tournament. Yeah. Do you remember what the prize money was for a, for one of the Futures tournaments? Futures? Oh, I was playing when they had the 10K, so I think you, you might win maybe like 1K around that. The winner? Yeah, maybe yeah. 1K, like that. But these guys are like Brutal. 400 in the world, yeah. like 200 in the world. I mean, you have guys there that either were top 100 players or you'd have guys rising up through the junior ranks. Maybe they were top 30 let's say itf yeah. juniors and they're coming up and playing so you're, you're playing serious guys yeah and uh, the level is really high yeah i think i would i'd give people the the reference maybe that you'd need a world ranking to be in the main draw and you'd probably need to be around what 1500 Ooh. to a thousand to even make main draw I'd, i would suggest back in around that so, time, I yeah in that time yeah possibly maybe one world ranking point i think you might be quality yeah still but but the guys that were ranked like seventh seed eighth seed they were like 700 600 around about yeah but now the level was completely changed if you if you got if you're around a thousand you'll be qualities if you're yeah if you're 900 you still might be qualities it's yes seriously and it's it's got a lot tougher yeah it's 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 kind of good and it's bad that it's it's getting tougher. I think people look at the very top end of the game and they go, oh, you know, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, who's next? Mm-hmm. We are kind of starting to see who is next, which is great. And they, you know, obviously we're not going to have an era like we've just had before, but mm-hmm. you look yeah. further down the, the chain, there's absolute guns like in the, in the thousands. Oh my gosh, the, the up and coming juniors and the age that they're, like they're performing like they're full grown adults. I mean, yeah, they've yeah. got the level already, but they're only 16, 17, 18. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been following a guy like Holger, yeah, for many years. Yeah, and yeah, actually, back to when I was probably like 20, 21, he was following some of the fitness drills that I was doing. Yeah, and I was like, this kid's only 14, but he's seriously good. Yeah, <laughs> a few years later. He's, he's like number one junior in the world and, and winning junior grand slams. And I was like, this is serious now. I mean, this kid's going to make it big time if he's, yeah. he's already at this kind of level and surrounded with such a good team. Yeah. But such, such a humble guy. And I was like, wow, this, this is where these top guys are going to be like mega. But that really, really resonated with me thinking you've got to be damn good <laughs> in yeah. order to push that kind of level to be the top player yeah, yeah. it's definitely um, I think you try and compare it to other sports it's re- it is really hard to I can't think of many that you compare it to and I, I think people always come back to the oh if I'm a top 100 in the UK tennis player I'm making no <laughs> money if I'm a top 100 UK footballer I'm <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Honestly, it's it's. I think tennis is the hardest non-contact sport ever. Personally, my opinion. Yeah, I would say just just the brutal part of the individual aspects of 
you get such highs, you get such lows, you yeah. don't know how to deal with them. And yet you gotta keep you gotta keep grinding and, and playing, let's say thirty weeks in a year. I mean that's seriously tough. Um, yeah. Playing wise and then not including all the travel too. <laughs> but like yeah, like you say there, it is you do you get your highs and your and your lows and it is the highs that, that keep you going, isn't it? Do you wanna can you is there any one moment that kind of springs to mind for you as a real high when you were playing i think it must have been must have been one of my um let me just think actually um there's a few where where i got a few of my atp points um, yes in egypt and it was kind of around the time where i thought how far is my tennis going to go and yeah. where can it take me and I managed to to qualify, and uh, that again you might play three matches or four matches, which is tough in itself. And then to get into the main draw, I was uh, fortunate enough to play some great tennis and managed to win a round to gain another ATP point. But around that time as well, I was playing doubles just for fun. Yeah, and um, I can't remember where he was from. I think it was Croatian. He he came up to me and said, "Hey, man." do you want to play doubles with me? And I was like, I'm training right now. I was like, just give me a sec. He goes, the, the entry deadline is within the next 20 minutes. He said, if you enter with me, you will get into the draw. And I was like, well, for sure. Go and put my name down. <laughs> Didn't know who this guy was. And, and we made finals that week. And I was uh, like, what's going on? Like we beat the number one seeds. And we were like, we were playing some ridiculous tennis. And these guys that we were playing against were mainly some singles players and ranked like three, 400. And I thought, man, this is, this is how tennis works. Like you yeah. just got to put yourself out there and, and do it. And yeah, yeah. And so we were, he was for sure a singles player. He would tee off big serves, big forwards, backhands. And I was like the quick one at the net. Yeah. And I thought if I were to take my doubles actually a little more seriously, then I reckon I could do okay. So I reckon I didn't, I didn't put myself out there in doubles that much. Yeah. But that was an opener and, that was a great memory. I remember winning against like the first seeds and, and thinking like I've, I've literally not thought about doubles or anything like that, but managing yeah. to perform that in these situations in, in Egypt with the humidity at nighttime and just think, yeah, that's, that's a nice little achievement for me to, to remember. <laughs> yeah, they can never take that one off you. That's awesome. It is an interesting one, isn't it? I was having this conversation with someone else um that's that was on the podcast earlier and um, we we're talking about singles and doubles and how you know you, you don't know whether it's the the right thing to do whether you should focus on the doubles and you made a really good point that was it's different it's not easier to be a doubles player and I think that no. that is very true I think the further you go down the line with it as well um it isn't you know it's not just our singles players that doubles necessarily there's a real skill to it yes it's it's completely it's like another sport to be honest yeah in doubles. i agree the way that you can read the game and move and the drills that you're doing yeah i mean i've had some sessions where i've specialized in just doubles i'm like i don't know where i am now where am i standing what am i doing next and and it's just like the thought process of not just focusing what you're doing but what your partner's doing and playing to your strengths against their weaknesses and it's such a quick fast game that anything can happen like um mini breaks here or there or 
or a few little lucky bits of like a few mishits and stuff like that that can change the game too so yeah really change for me and I think through college tennis and playing a lot of doubles there that really helped me for in playing in the future is yeah. actually too I think that's something that I was I was going to touch on there is and you can tell me if your experience was was different I think you were in the south and I was in the north but um as juniors no one really wanted to play doubles everyone wanted to play singles it was very individualized and you maybe had one mate that you I had one friend that would always want to play he's a really good doubles player he's like can we play doubles I'm like oh I hate it but all right and now I love it because I had no yeah. clue when I was younger what I was doing that's it and I think looking back to now like what I do in, in junior training I heavily focus on a lot of doubles training and yeah. how to transition to the net and take control of the net and things like that to teach these juniors yeah that it's fine it's okay to get past it and it's okay to get lobbed but yeah you're working towards the bigger picture here you're not you're not just thinking all I want to do is is win at the net you're not always going to win at the net but you've got to put yourself out there to try that <laughs> yeah and um yeah doubles if you can learn doubles from a younger age you're definitely going to have an overall skill set in your game as opposed to just being like a heavy hitting baseliner yeah, have the hand skills, the feel, and know how to take time away better. I mean, the list goes on with that too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great skill set to have to be able to play doubles at a high level and singles too. Yeah, it's funny. The more the more conversations I have like this, I was told as a junior, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to play. I forced myself. I used to play at my local club and I used to play in the leagues with the older men and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I had too. to force <laughs> myself to do it because I was like, oh, I'm bored. I just want to play on my own. But I was told by like coaches and older people, do it, do it, do it. And like, ultimately it did stand me in good stead. But as a junior, <laughs> you kind of, it's hard to see the bigger picture, but you have to sometimes just accept that these older people are often right. <laughs> Yeah, and when you look at when you look at like the game styles, you're thinking they don't hit the ball very hard, but they place the ball so well. They have crafty little slices and dinks, yeah. and their their skill set at the net is is really handy. And you think actually they're not bad. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. actually get a good game out of them. Yeah. It's just not pretty tennis. What you'd think aesthetic tennis looks like, hitting the ball hard and clean and good movement. Yeah, but they know how to win. That's 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 the thing as well. Yeah, they're really crafty. They'll really teach you stuff. <laughs> and I like, I like, I like the aspects of where you play a guy that may uh, be like a double specialist, and you're yeah. like two singles players. So you're both at the baseline. They're both at the net. Yeah. And more often than not, they're actually beating you because they're yeah. they're just neutralizing your game through just simple volleys, as opposed to you trying to blast winners past them. You can't really always do that. There. No. Good doubles players, you're like, I can't, I can't see a way past you. <laughs> you go that, I go that way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, when they, um, when they serve volley, it's like yeah. they've closed the net, they've made the court smaller, and then you're trying to find a way past them, which is not always possible. Yeah. But the way that they're taking time away from you, it's not like in singles where you have all the time in the world to take big preparation and, and big swipes at the ball into big areas of the court. The court looks tiny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good one for any junior players out there. Is you know, listen, listen to some of the older coaches that tell you to go and play in the men's leagues at the the club. I think I saw a talk that Judy Murray did, and I think she said, you know, Jamie and Andy were 
she was big on them playing with the old guys at the club and just becoming crafty. And, you know, we all know how good Murray became at, well, both That's of it. them are at doubles, but, you know, yeah. Murray with those influential lobs and stuff, which have probably come yeah. from the doubles court. Exactly. Yeah, look at their skill sets. They, they can do everything on the court. I mean, yeah. you got to put yourself in playing, like, let's say, all different types of players. That's what I would say. If you're traditionally just playing the guys that hit fast and a nice clean ball, yeah. that's all you're going to be comfortable with. But if you're playing against people that may loop the ball higher, chip backhands all the time, or maybe serve volley, you'll be aware of many different game styles so you can adapt better when they do come in matches. Yeah, definitely. And mm. I think surfaces as well. I think as a junior, you think, this is how I play. I'm usually playing on a hard court and I'm doing it and, it and that's how I play. And then you go and you play like an Astro and it's wet and it's raining and you're like, I don't know what to do. This isn't working. My extreme forehand grip is getting punished. You need that's to do it, it. right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, it's like uh, yeah, the adaptability to what's, at you, what's coming at you. Yeah. One hundred percent versatile and adaptable, and all such important skills. So, obviously, you finished. You finished on the tour, and then, and then, what came after that? Was that when you went to back to university? So, I, I had a little stint in um, Qatar, actually. Nice. So I did. I did play um, one or two futures out there. Yeah. It wasn't really. It wasn't really anything that would be known because yeah. I was mainly there to actually work with the young junior. Okay. There's a 12-year-old boy um, who uh, is playing at ITF Juniors now, actually, yeah. at a good level. And I was basically his full-time coach, full-time fitness coach. Yeah, nice. So the coaches that I worked with in Germany, one guy called Mark, he's now based in Austria. He taught me a lot about how to structure a junior program for like someone that age and yeah. what fitness aspects I should do and focus on. So I was there for three months and yeah. I would bring the boy full time. Yeah. And that was amazing, really amazing experience because I got to see him day in, day out, six days a week and everything around his tennis and training. I was, I was there for it. So yeah. got a real in-depth um, detail into what it was like to train like a top. He was maybe top three in Asia at the yeah. time for that age group. And after that, um, yeah, I was offered a, a job to train in full time, but I was thinking, I still want to go back to university. This was a bit more short term. Yeah. So my option was, I, I heavily wanted to focus on my studies still, even though I played all this tennis and did this coaching, I decided to come back to England to, to coach, um, try to coach full time, but alongside yeah. my academics. The University yeah. of East London for three years and studied a sports science degree, which I really enjoyed there and got to, got to still play some fun tennis. Um, yeah. I wasn't quite training. I was more so focusing on my work yeah. and doing a lot of courses like my, all my different coaching courses, my strength and conditioning courses and really trying to gain as much knowledge as I could yeah. in, in the coaching aspects because I felt like that was the route that I wanted to take. Yeah. And so that, that kind of led me to to the club that I work at now. It's not a performance center or anything like that, but it's yeah. a chain for David Lloyd's. Yeah. And lovely indoor courts, huge gym and amazing facilities. So I trained some, some good juniors there and, and it's, it's, it's pretty fun, but I, I definitely yeah. like to travel a bit more for work as well. 
Maybe yeah. traveling with chickens or come across the pond. Maybe I might bump into you and in, in yeah, yeah. You there, so. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so you went back to university did you have coaching in mind when you went back to university or were you kind of just I want to go back I want to study I want to do sports science and we'll kind of see what goes from there uh, I 100% wanted to coach at that time uh, after playing and, and and even coaching in Qatar yeah that was like I really love coaching I yeah, thought it's my kind of niche that I've really wanted to divulge into now and I thought that that's the end of my pro playing days. Yeah. I thought this new door opened into the world of coaching. Yeah. Um, I love being around people. I love learning. So I thought what better way in order for me to, to coach, to earn some money. Yeah. And to coach and study at the same time. Yeah. Brilliant. As I was finishing my degree, it was around, around when COVID was starting, to be honest. Actually, I didn't even have my graduation ceremony. Actually, oh, no due way. To yeah and that's was, fairly recent then yeah feels recent uh, 25 <laughs> yeah i was 25 so yeah. about a year ago two years ago yeah two years ago from now so and then how long have you been coaching at david lloyd i've been there for about three years now yeah yeah it's uh, it's very it's it's really comfortable i mean there's yeah we have 19 courts um, wow like 13 indoors three in the bubble 10 indoors Wow. I mean, got ridiculous gym facilities, everything you can imagine. They recently opened a spa as well. They've got indoor pool, outdoor pool, yeah. steam room, so on. They've got a restaurant. So they've got all the facilities there. They just don't have the no performance setup. Is yeah. is really it's it's like a decent center, but yeah, yeah. In order for the kids to be really good, they're, they're, I'd say they they wouldn't be able to do it there. Yeah. So I can train juniors up to a certain level there, but then you know, come to a point where I'll say, sorry, but I can fulfill you for the tennis, but your fitness and your, and your yeah. training schedules, groups, you'll have to diverse and go out elsewhere. Yeah. So what does a, what does kind of a week like look like for, for you now? Heavily focused on a lot of coaching. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll probably spend, um, let's say 40, 45 hours a week yeah. coaching. coaching. Yeah, and then at least half a day or two three hours i would actually film creating content yeah. for social media yeah as well as i also have like like today where i don't have uh, an early start i can uh, i can do some online like, research and things like that for for just gaining more knowledge for my own self and to help help to better my own players and things like that so it's um it's a pretty heavy week um, six days a week. I now have one day off. It used to be um, only recently, like end of last year, I decided to take the um, <laughs> a day off. <laughs> they call it, but I don't really think it's a day off. It's just like a day off for me to just yeah do more things that I want to do as well. I always think I love the job and everything involved with it, but I do need some time to do a few other bits. Yeah, in my life as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a hard one for, for coaches. I was speaking to someone about coach burnout um, and I think they're going to come on and talk about it in particular. It's, it's difficult because as a coach, you do it because you do, you do enjoy the job and you love it and you love helping people progress. But there can come a time when you, when you are doing those sorts of hours and it demands a lot of you. And it's not just, it's not, if you really care, it's not just turn up to the lesson and deliver the lesson and see you next week. Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot more to it like you say investing time into research and you know yeah preparing a lot yeah but i've touched upon a few aspects such as like what when people say burnout and things like that yeah and i think that burnout can come from either physical or mental but yeah in terms of the word burnout i feel like if you're not mentally stimulated that's when you're it's getting too much for someone so you can keep yourself um, focused in the present and not think too big of like too far in front then that will help you to ground yourself in terms of what you want to do and let's say you're developing a player one player let's say individual you're working on let's say their tennis serve and how complex the tennis serve is you want to break it into so many different stages so i think i think when i coach i don't want to uh, think of too many things at once i'm always trying to think of the small narrow just here and then and then over time if you keep progressing that one percent better every day then you will get closer to your goals if not reach them and for me i've always yeah i've always loved the game loved the sport loved the learning process and i always try to install that in them so that they always think if they need the time to themselves to have a break or anything like that, then that's it. That's fine. You can take yeah. it. Yeah. And always listening to them rather than me just always putting things onto them. I got to listen to what they want as well and how they feel. That's very important. I think as a coach. Yeah, definitely. I think you've got to, you've got to remember that, you know, as much as you want them to, to do well, it's not, um, you can't coach or, push your agenda on them. I think it's for them to kind of make their decisions and, and you, you can push them in the right direction and give them the right advice or what you perceive to be the right advice. But I think, yeah, you can't, it can't be your agenda. It has to be theirs. That's it. It's always them first. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. The individual first. And then I'm there to help, uh, help them to fulfill whatever potential they can reach Yeah. rather than, yeah, rather than me saying you got to do it like this. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. I think long term as well, you you're not going to get the buy-in down the road if if you're always forcing it upon them. I think it it has to be a conversation rather than a it's this way or it's it's nothing. I think you've got to understand that each there's no one size fits all for coaching. It's it's very Definitely. unique, very unique. I always think that as well when you train your juniors, and probably the same for you is that let's say if I have an eye for something uh, technical aspect in their game, a different coach might have something else and it may work better for them than, than what I thought for them. So it's yeah, individual needs of that, that person rather than me saying this is the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned it briefly, but we should talk about it because obviously it's a, you know, it's clearly an important part of what you do, but you, you set up your, your Instagram, which obviously, you know, push out some brilliant content, amazing coaching content on there for people. How did that, I think you mentioned it started with fitness videos. So what's kind of, how's that evolved and, and where's it going? Uh, originally, yeah, I, I started with the fitness content back in like 2016, 2017. And that was when also Functional Tennis, they only had like 2,000 followers, 5,000 followers at that time. Yeah. I was amongst when they were starting as well. Yeah. And it was before, it was basically starting the tennis social media boom kind of thing yeah. going. And I did it because I wanted to track my progress. I yeah. wanted to see how fit I was getting 
and I would add some music to some videos. I would also throw in a few other things to act as like my, my blog. Like what is Dylan doing, let's say three months ago to what he's doing today. Yeah, brilliant. And after playing professional tennis and then coming to university here in England, I then stopped posting as much just due to the coaching workload, me learning and studying a lot and getting other qualifications as well as then um, studying my university degree. It was just too much at that time. So roughly lockdown three years ago, two years ago, I decided to post a video. It was in, it was the 24th of March. I think it was 2020, I believe it was two years ago. Yeah. I posted a video and I'll try to find it again and repost it. But that video was the first video I posted and I have not missed a single day since then of posting a video a day or yeah. picture. That's <laughs> and that, what I wanted to do was find a way, how could I give back to other people in the tennis community that maybe didn't have access to a coach or yeah. fitness videos or, or see what a lifestyle of a tennis player, tennis coach is like, and how could I help them in giving back rather than me amassing all this information, what way would be better give it back than through social media? This is, this is why I wanted to start doing this. Just I love having these conversations with people and it's nice because I think we've come up similar, similar age experience, similar things and tennis has given us, you know, amazing opportunities that we wouldn't have had without, without it. Um, and it is like you say, it's, you know, just trying to give some information back to people and help other people out. There's like you say, there's thousands of people out there, mate, that just don't, they don't have a clue and they look, they look on the wrong thing and they're just sent further down the wrong rabbit hole. And I can, I can get that frustration as well. Cause I'm sure like you, I've spent loads of hours researching and, on youtube and instagram on how to grow accounts and how to get more information in that kind of you know in that world or what have you and you get 20 minutes into a 30 minute video and you're like i've wasted my time here this has given me nothing um and i think if we can help people you know save their time and help them pick up a bit of knowledge it's it's a great it's a great feeling to be able to do that and yeah, no, i agreed i think yeah providing value to people and what better way than we have our little like little platforms that we can yeah help to reach thousands of people and millions of people around the world yeah and uh our what social media but doing it all in the right way to to help the greater tennis community right <laughs> yeah definitely that's it i finish i finish with a little quick fire round mate so um yeah sure I'd love to ask you these questions make them as quick or not as quick as you'd like them to be so I think we're, we're big on, you know, we talk about the 1% and constantly trying to get our players to improve. But what's something that you do every day that helps to move yourself forwards? A little writing of like uh, affirmations, actually. Uh, I write a few little things about what I want to do in that day or things that are going to make me feel good. So the day, like, uh, let's say it could be me writing down, okay, today I, I need to focus a bit more on stretching um and yoga to take my mind off whatever's going around the world to give me yeah. the calm and relaxation in my mind so that might be one thing and i think that's really resonated and helped me to keep my mind level headed and everything so i have a little book for that <laughs> that's brilliant i love it um what's one piece of advice that you would give to uh an up and i will give it because we've spoken a lot about 
tour life and junior tennis. What's one piece of advice you would give to an up and coming junior player? So to purely focus on the process of working hard and working smart day in, day out to not think too far ahead or what the next person next to me is doing. Because yeah. when you start thinking like that, you're not concentrating on your own pathway. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Love that. And putting you on the spot here a little bit, but do you have a favorite quote or book? Oh, uh, mm, I haven't read any recent books recently, but in terms of quotes, I'd say to just live in the present and enjoy every moment as it comes. Yeah. <laughs> Something as basic as that, but yeah, that's what really, really hits keep me. It, <laughs> keep it simple, mate. Keep it that's simple. It. I think it's often we can overcomplicate things and there's, there's actually no need to do that. Doing the basics well, right? And that's, yeah. that's what I always say. These, these levels. <laughs> yeah, 100%. All right, mate, it's been, it's been brilliant to chat and it's been awesome. I hope that people have come over maybe seen a lot of you on social media but not ever spoken to you in depth so hopefully it's given them a yeah, bit more of your your story and i know personally that um it's connected more dots for me as someone that's watched your channel for a while and it's been a really interesting chat mate i've loved hearing your tennis journey so thank you so much for your time and i have to say no, you're you so flexible sorting out the time as well so i do i really appreciate it mate no worries no no i really appreciate speaking to you tom and we'll connect more i'm sure 100% mate. Brilliant. Perfect. That was Dylan G on the Tom Hasm podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. What a brilliant story Dylan has from going to the States and taking an opportunity when it was presented in front of him, which I think we have to remember, not just in tennis, but in life. That's what we've got to do. Before today's episode, I'd never met Dylan, but an hour into speaking to him, I felt like I've known him for ages, and I hope you got that same feeling too. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do drop a like, subscribe, so that you never miss an episode. I've got more amazing guests coming for you. If you want to get in touch with me, then please do. I'm on Instagram, at TomHasmTennis, or you can email me, TomHasm, at TomHasmTennis.com. I'll see you again next week for the next episode.